Welcome to another episode of the Carno Extremities podcast, a horror podcast where we pair up an extreme movie offering with an extreme musical offering. As always, I am one of your hosts, Raina Cervantes, and with me, as always, is... I am your other host, Vanna Taylor. A comeback episode. <laughs> we are in our comeback era. <laughs> for real, for real. Um... Those of you that may have been following us probably have noticed that uh, we may have intentionally or unintentionally not uploaded in about two months. Um, we do apologize for that. Or maybe we don't apologize if it was planned out. Just a combination of us working our jobs and the holidays. Things got a little hectic around here. Yeah, I... Uh... Yeah, it, it makes me sad because obviously I love being able to do this. I definitely missed it and I'm mm -hmm. excited to jump back in. But yeah, things happen. Life happens. The holidays suck. You know, life. It's, yeah, no. And it's I think it's important to balance out work life balance because, you know, we do do this podcast for fun, but it's it's a lot of work sometimes. Uh, getting together each week, watching stuff we want to cover, editing the episode, planning out everything. You know, sometimes it's okay to take a break, I think. Yeah, I think um, that's something that is easy to forget when you are working in, like, any sort of creative capacity. Because mm -hmm. it's like we do this for fun or like this is my passion or my art form and then you like turn it into work and then it takes the fun out of it so yeah i think yeah it's it's healthy to take breaks you know seasonal depression happens you know mm -hmm. so yeah but i hope people missed us cuz i missed us <laughs> mhm mm yeah likewise I mean, last we were here too. We were kind of, kind of in the midst of a Japanese extreme series. Um, unfortunately, uh, we have decided to forego continuing that series because of the long gap in between. Uh, I think it's safe to say we'll probably, we'll probably cover the other Japanese extreme films we want to cover in an in another season of that. But I think it's good to kind of go back to our roots of like what we want to cover and how we want to do it. And, you know, like like Vanna said, when you're in a creative capacity, there's a thin line where it becomes fun and work where. You know, just sometimes you get so like ingrained, so like dead set on heading, hitting deadlines, getting guests, booking stuff that you almost lose the fun out of it a little bit and i never want that to happen with this podcast personally because it covers two topics that i'm very passionate about yeah exactly yeah i think um yeah i'm definitely one of those people where i'm like oh my god i have so many deadlines and i'm like these are literally just deadlines i've set for myself like i'm stressing myself 
out. Mm. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's just. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I loved uh, our Japanese series and all the movies that we covered. Um, obviously, we will revisit you know, other Japanese extreme films. There are so many to cover that we obviously weren't even going to get to all of them in one single series or season anyways. Um, But yeah, I think starting fresh, you know, it's a new year. It's 2024. Oh my gosh. That doesn't doesn't feel like a real number. That's not a real number. (laughs) Yeah, I... uh... Yeah, and, you know, it's already, we're already, like, through a whole month of 2024. That's the even more disgusting part of it. (laughs) Like, Mm. I was like, oh, my God, it's, like, February, basically, already. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I hate it. You know, time is but a fallacy designed by man. (laughs) Um, But... Let, let, let's not dwell on the depressing <laughs> yeah let's uh, yeah we'll, we'll stop talking about what year it is because that's 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 no fun <laughs> i will say though since our listeners haven't heard from us in a while they basically didn't hear from us for like all of the fall movie season what is mm. one movie you saw this last season that you want to highlight hmm I know, I'm sorry, I should have prepared you for that pop quiz. <laughs> no, yeah, that's like uh like last year as a whole, or just like like just like fall movie season, yeah, like since the last time we recorded, because I think the most like last recent film we talked about was a cut conversation on Exorcist Believer. But we're not gonna <laughs> have a huge combo. We're just gonna say like one movie we really liked these this past year fall season oh my gosh yeah well you know there there's actually been quite a few like i i never posted a um you know my own 2023 list or anything like that um Mm -hmm. mostly because uh i unfortunately have to wait for a lot of the 2023 releases uh that other people got to see so a lot of the things that made a lot of people's top tens like are not even films i have access to yet uh so i i didn't didn't do that but i've been thinking about it lately and um i don't know i think the biggest thing that sticks out in my mind is probably poor things um Okay. I think I just saw that like the beginning of December ish. Um, mm-hmm. It didn't really come to theaters near us until uh, like, you know, as we're recording this. Uh, but I did get to go to Draft House LA to see it. And it was nice. So fantastic. <laughs> Hell yeah. Love it. What about you? Have you. Uh- Anything sticking out to you? You know, I did do a top list, a top 10 list that's going to be published by a website. Um, but I, I guess I want to talk about my, my favorite, like horror experience this last fall season. Um, 
without diving too much into the weeds of it. Uh, I really fucking liked Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. I, it's, it's crazy that that already feels like so far away now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just it was cool seeing a movie that I have been anticipating since like 2007 finally come to fruition and you know on top of that be like an actually pretty good slasher yeah i feel like um we've gotten quite a few you know quality slashers lately mm-hmm. you know that aren't just really big franchises like getting their however many installments like we've had quite a few like original ones yeah, we're in the midst of a slasher renaissance. Like you, you got Founders Day in theaters right now as we're recording, and uh, well, Thanksgiving is now a franchise with a sequel set to release in twenty twenty five. Yeah, that is that is going to be interesting to see. Yeah, that was just a a movie I really enjoyed this last fall season. I think I saw something ridiculous like four times in theaters oh my goodness I yeah mean, i don't think i've done that since a star wars movie seen a movie that many times in theaters hmm yeah i know i definitely did that with uh with some star wars movies but yeah i don't know i think i i did see Saltburn a couple times in theaters just because i so I've definitely seen that four times already, but not four times in theaters. So that's that's yeah. a an accomplishment. <laughs> What's your record for most you've seen a movie in the theater? Um, it'll it would probably be uh Force Awakens. I think Ooh. um I think there was just so much hype about you know Star Wars finally back in theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty sure I saw it seven times. Oh, shit. That's pretty and, good. Uh, yeah, because I remember being like, all right, this is like seventh movie, seven times. Like, we're <laughs> we're doing it. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Did, I dig that. Um, it's funny because it's like Star Wars isn't even something that most people associate with me, but that mm-hmm. used to be quite a prominent personality trait of mine (laughs) you know what i don't think it's something people associate with me and the movie i've seen the most in theaters is the last jedi (laughs) you know i I, uh i tried to break my force awakens record with the last jedi but i don't know if i was successful in that i saw the last jedi 11 times in theaters it's so good i i'm a Last Jedi apologist, so I I saw it in every single format it was available in. <laughs> I love that. That's great. That's that is the way to experience cinema. It's also the first movie I saw in the Chinese theater in LA. Me and my friend drove out there and saw like a two AM showing at their IMAX. Oh my gosh. That that's a fun story. I yeah. I've never been to the Chinese theater, so I will tell you, I did also do the 48-hour marathon of the entire saga. That's, that is fun. I, that, that was for episode I don't nine, know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I could, uh, if I would be strong enough. I didn't think I would make it through the John Wick marathon that we 
recently attended, but oh shit, but we, we did, did it. See that <laughs> that was that was really fun. That was quite a long time to sit in a theater, but I guess nowhere near as long as like twenty five hours. <laughs> oh, it was forty eight hours. Or 48 hours. That's what, Oh my god. That's... Yeah, it was spread over the course of like two days. That's it, wild. Over 48? I had to I had to double check the exact time. Time became hazy during all of that. I was like, what time is it? What movie are we on? <laughs> when do we what get day to watch... is it? Yeah. yeah. When do we get <laughs> to watch episode 9? And then episode 9 hits and I'm like, mm, I don't know if that was worth it. <laughs> yeah. We're not no. gonna. We're not gonna sit here and yeah. dwell on Star Wars, though. Um, yeah, that's a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it really is. Um, but we are going to dwell on another movie. You like that segue? Oh yeah, oh yeah, iconic. Uh, Vanna, you want to tell our listeners what movie we're covering today? I yeah. So let's get into it. I think. This is going to be a really exciting one. Uh, we are going into a director we've covered before, someone that is near and dear to both of our hearts, I would say. Um, we are covering Crimes of the Future, written and directed by the one and only David Cronenberg, starring Viggo Mortensen, Leia Seydoux, Kristen Stewart, and Scott Speedman. The film tells the story of humans who adapt to a synthetic environment with new transformations and mutations. With his partner, Caprice, Saltenser, celebrity performance artist, publicly showcases the metamorphosis of his organs in avant-garde performances. It was originally set to be made in 2003 with the title Painkillers, and was originally going to star Ralph Fiennes as Saul Tenser after the original actor Nicolas Cage dropped out. That's a very interesting casting choice there. And after failing to enter production, David Cronenberg said he had lost interest in making it. And though the film shares a title with a previous Cronenberg short film from 1970 the two have wildly different plots and characters I can feel you pulling things around in there it's a brand new organ never before seen we've all felt that the body was empty empty of meaning and we've wanted to confirm that so that we could fill it with meaning the world is a much more dangerous place now that pain has all but disappeared. Surgery is sex, isn't it? Is it? Space. Oh. Oops. Sorry. 
Let us not be afraid to map the chaos inside. Let us create a map that will guide us into the heart of darkness. So we're going into 2024 with the message, long live the new flesh, or <laughs> surgery is the new sex. Pick and choose your battles. Um, yeah, new year, new us, new flesh. New uh, flesh. <laughs> yeah, I think it's kind of, I, it's kind of interesting. We're kind of starting with uh, David Cronenberg's most recent film. Um, I know we've done The Brood before, but. Um, I think it's a it's kind of a fun choice to not like go back and do, you know, one of his earlier works. Um, but yeah, do you want to maybe start off with your relationship or, you know, if you remember the first time you saw this one? Um, no, I don't actually. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. I will. Um, <laughs> I saw this movie. At 10 a.m. at the Harkins Estrella in Goodyear, Arizona. Um, yeah, we saw, we saw like a brunch screening of this one. Uh, I was super hyped because it was Cronenberg's big return to horror. It was the first time he had done something in the genre of like body horror. Essentially the genre he created. It was him going back to it after doing dramas for so many years. I mean, he had a great run of human dramas. He had a history of violence, Eastern promises, a dangerous method, like some of his like all time bangers, maps to the stars, Cosmopolis, like all, all fantastic mm -hmm. movies. Like I'm a Cronenberg girly, but I'm like a real Cronenberg girly. I'm like, give me the dramas <laughs> too. In addition to all the horror stuff. Um, So it was exciting to know he was going back to this and that neat that he finally got funding from Neon. Because if you remember, Cronenberg um, was talking about retiring from directing because he couldn't get funding for a movie. So my anticipation levels for Crimes of the Future were just through the fucking roof before this movie even came out. Um, so we go to see it at 10 a.m. I take two friends that have no fucking idea what we're about to see. They're not even Cronenberg fans. Um, there's a theater... The theater has about 20 people in it. And over the course of the film, more and more left in the middle of it until by the end, it was just me and my two friends. And oh, yeah, yeah. Quitters. And, yeah, quitters for a 90 minute movie. It's not that long. Cronenberg, king of movies under two hours. Like, just stick with them. But um. I remember just being blown away by it. I was like, oh man, this is like, I think this is a movie that like people expected him to make, but also not like, I'll dive a little bit more into that, but in a bit, but I was pretty blown away the first time I saw it. I knew, I knew from the jump that it was something extremely special. I, I knew it was a film that, comes every once in a great while from a seasoned director i'm i'm curious to what you thought the first time you watched it yeah so um 
I definitely, I definitely was really anticipating this one. Like I was really uh, disappointed in like the lack of showings around me. Um, I was able to go see it in LA. I went with the a couple friends. Um, however, the showing wasn't until um, like you know, like 10 p.m. or something like that. And I am, I'm not, I'm not a late night person. I go to bed pretty early. So I was quite exhausted uh, trying to, trying to make sense of this film. I was definitely, um, I was definitely in awe of it. I remember being really, like so immersed like I think that's something yeah, we can probably talk about in a little bit there, there's such a like a universe that Cronenberg has almost created um but I was just really tired and there there were a few conversations like on this rewatch that I just like had no I, re- I remember not understanding at all like what they were actually saying in those conversations which meant I missed a few critical plot points um so this time around it definitely made so much more sense but um but there's just so much to chew on um Mm -hmm. it was very hard to digest um but not in a bad way it was just like i'm really tired and there's so much going on um i love every bit of it but i'm it's definitely one of those things where i think it's going to be really well rewarding on every rewatch like i think there's like more and more to pick apart like mm-hmm. i'm excited for like i loved this rewatch um but i'm excited for like all the times in the future that i'll get to rewatch this one rewatches of the future bah, 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 bah. no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> i <clears throat> Yeah, it's it's a fascinating film. It's thematically very dense. Like I I know I know Cronenberg has done thematically dense films before, but Crimes of the Future is him going like full sicko mode. Yeah, there are like there are so many different readings that I have seen of this film. Um I know there's like a pretty major theme like based on what Cronenberg himself has said about uh the story but there are so many other um so many other things you can pick apart and um you know I see it also get brought up a lot in conversation with uh some of his other films like Videodrome or Existence like there's a lot of people consider like these three to be like really critical uh in like what Cronenberg's like known for when it comes to like his themes mm-hmm. um I do, I do I do feel like this is one of the Cronenberg movies that you can walk away with the most like diverse readings from I feel like something somebody gains something different from this film like regardless of who you are as a person to me I almost see it as a form of self-parody um, the way Cronenberg tells the story of Saul Tanser, the man who grows 
these these organs that aren't human displays himself like removing the organs like it's kind of like Cronenberg like being like every time he makes a film or a form of art he's like I'm showing you part of myself that maybe that it, it's it's him like it's him using the guise of body horror as like, okay, you guys want a body horror film, but I'm going to show you something that's like very deep and meaningful to me. I'm going to show you a part of myself. And Saul's conflict throughout the whole movie is how does he remain relevant as an artist in like an ever evolving world, a world where people don't have pain sensory like nerves. So in a way it's Cronenberg saying like, I am returning to do a body horror movie, but how do I cater to that crowd that fucking loses their mind at the announcement of a new Saw movie? Like none of my stuff is shocking anymore. None of it is provocative anymore. I'm just another artist just trying to make like an impact in the world. So I think Cronenberg uses that opportunity of crimes of the future to show like, the story of an artist struggling to remain relevant in an ever evolving world. Um, and he does that through, through Saul's plight. I mean, Saul is suffering when he makes his art, but it's ultimately a release for him. It's ultimately a reprieve of like, Oh, I finally did it. And whether he gained anything from not, he feels better for doing so. I th- I think it was really one of those things where people try to fit Cronenberg into a box of body horror, but his line of work, even something like the drama films, it's he it shows that he's much more than that. Am I making sense on any of this, or am I rambling? No, yeah, I think um, like Saul Tensor's character is very obviously like a. Uh, a stand-in for Cronenberg and the whole movie is, you know, like you said, like it's like he's literally opening himself up for mm-hmm. the sake of his art. And um, I think it's really interesting that like in this world where um, people are desensitized to pain, I think, um, you know, there's something to be said not only about like, artists and the artistic process but about spectators and like the way we consume mm-hmm. art um it's like the fact that everyone is desensitized and like the only person who can feel pain is Saul like mm-hmm. um he's the only one we really see like going through like physical pain because like like they mentioned it's like you know dangerous that people don't feel pain anymore we see people like cutting each other up in back alleys and Mm -hmm. and things like that so i think that's really interesting like obviously i don't think um a critique of the uh spectator was a focus but i think that was like an interesting thing i noticed um yeah i don't it's just really yeah. It's really it's like kind of self-referential like he he knows what we expect of him and he like subverts that expectation a little bit because I, I remember hearing a few um critiques that maybe it wasn't 
as gross as people wanted it to be or like the expectation of like, I think people were disappointed with some of the CGI or something like that, even though there isn't really that much. I don't I just some of the critiques I heard um, tossed around were like seemed like they were almost like intentional on Cronenberg's part because he is like, all right, I've literally cut myself open to give you films my whole life like let's uh let's switch it up a little bit the the man with the ears all over his body i feel like is almost a commentary on the state of gore films where it's like ooh, it's like like you think it's this very provocative image but it's like kind of fucking stupid at the end of the day in the film in the context of the film um I I really yeah like I think what she says is like the ears don't even work like yeah. there's no point it's just uh it's uh what does she say they're just for show and yeah and things like that and like yeah it's just uh it yeah it, it makes me wonder if like Cronenberg kept up with modern gore films like the Saw franchise I mean you you have to I mean for for example. What does a Cronenberg movie mean in a world where a Saw movie can come out and make a hundred million dollars? Like, right? What what do you do? How do you remain provocative? But also, like, at the end of the day, Saw X is just like, it's all show. It's entertaining. It's great. But is there anything underlying in the themes? Anything? Anything with big, grand meaning? Am I making sense? Yeah, I think um I think not only like the artistic process is like on display, but it, there's obviously a lot of tension between uh you know, the performance and the and the art uh and the government and the registry. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the way um something that Saul uses for art is something that is also being censored. Um, you know, people are being forced to register their organs and, and it's like, so there's a, there's a bit of control outside of outside control being exacted on people who consider that art. It's like the MPAA with gore films. Yeah. And then it's interesting that people who work in the registry and are supposed to be controlling these things are also becoming involved with, you know, the pageant. Like I think um, Whippet even calls it like best original organ with no known function. Like it's very much a play on, uh, you know, film award titles, like best original screenplay, you know? So it's very interesting that there's like this inside job being done almost like, I don't know. It's it's really interesting if you think about like the people who are controlling are also on the inside getting to put on pageants for the best art. And like it's uh, quite damning, you know, I mean, considering the fact that he's someone who struggled with uh, with funding and he's also someone whose films struggle with, uh, you know, probably with ratings and things like that. It seems he has a very uh, personal um, attachment to, you know, those issues, I think. 
I want to I wanna highlight a little bit of the character work of uh, Timlin, played by Kristen Stewart. Um, oh, gosh. To me, that character really resonates with me as the stand-in for the diehard Cronenberg fan. The diehard ride-or-die, I'm going to watch anything with your name on it. Like, I don't care that the world is evolving around me and new stuff and new 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 forms of art and like quote unquote gore films are coming around i'm still there for you day one regardless an unrequited fan yeah she is so good she's like such a little freak i love it she yeah i definitely she's not acting that's what agree stewart in like day-to-day life (laughs) But yeah, I definitely agree that she is um, definitely a character here that I identified with. Like, she's just all in for Saul. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, like I said, it feels like Cronenberg acknowledging, like, his fans, like, that have been there with him, like, through the Cosmopolis days, through the Maps of the Stars days, like, through the I might be retiring days it's like him acknowledging like no I I see you and I'm I'm forever happy that you're there for me regardless of what happens um crimes of the future man it's just it's it's a wallop of a movie it it is it is so much to take in and Cronenberg like expertly does it in like an under two hour runtime, like king king of a uh, yeah king of tight ninety movies. <laughs> yeah, I um interesting. It's interesting that you know, like I know I mentioned I was I was very tired um and very sleepy when I watched it originally, but um at the same time that final scene like that last shot I almost thought was was like that I thought that was like a midpoint in the movie I was like oh now it's gonna turn into a different movie or something and then the credits started rolling and I was like oh my god like what a final shot like I don't just something about I think because he creates such a vast world and there's so many things going on that for some reason like when that final shot happens, I was, I was uh, anticipating everything that is going to happen because of what's happening in that final shot. Um, I think it's beautiful that it does cut there. I just, I just remember in the theater being like, "Oh, okay, okay, so we're gonna start," you know, like the second half of the movie, and then, and then credits. I was like, "Oh." Oh, (laughs) he he gets in, says what he needs to do and gets out. And I love it because, you know, like I said, it's a short film, but it just really resonates with you. It it crafts this whole world. It crafts this society. You get to know fully fleshed out characters like I mean, I mean, just look at Caprice, for example, we barely touched on her. That that is like one of the most like dense Cronenberg characters he's ever created. I mean, the artist's assistant, the one that that falls to what society kind of wants to 
like molder into. Yeah, it's interesting. We get like little tidbits of like backstory. We get like all these little inklings into their relationship and like the different natures of their relationship. They have that like beautiful scene where she like fillets his new stomach zipper. Like (laughs) there's there's so many so many moments like there's that one moment too that she's at this other performance mm-hmm. um before she gets some sort of uh modification there's but there's like this exchange where she's talking to this person who like says these words like i enjoy trauma like what i do to myself is very traumatic it is is another one of those moments where i'm like it's almost like poking fun at like horror fans like oh my god i love i love trauma <laughs> I, I love a serbian film <laughs> yeah it, it, you know us being people who have an extreme podcast like you know that moment definitely uh felt like i was like oh i see myself in this and i don't like it <laughs> i mean that um, that really is my biggest takeaway is is Cronenberg going like okay i'm coming back to body horror a genre I haven't touched since existence in 1999. Let's uh, let's see how the world has changed and if I can still remain ve- relevant. What's the value of my art in a world like this? Yeah, that's the, the thing that is so intriguing to me about um, a few of his films, like because he's very concerned with, um, you know, as Vaughn from Crash puts it, the reshaping of the human body through modern technology. And so it's, it's always fun to see, like, there are, like, distinct decades where there are very distinct new, like, inventive technologies that Cronenberg is always interrogating in his films. Um yeah, it's just it's interesting like to think about how we adapt to the world around us. Like thinking about like the plastic eater people, like thinking about he really he really goes all in on this one. It's just it's it's like I said, it's beyond words. <laughs> it's Cronenberg going full I keep full, having trouble. Yeah, it's uh it's Cronenberg going full sicko mode. <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly. Um He's like, hey, you want a film of mine? What if I did like a film that's like a greatest hits of everything I ever done, body horror and drama? Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's what I was kind of trying to get to in my ramblings. It's it's really interesting because it's like a return to his, you know, sci-fi body horror, um, you know, grappling with the same themes we know and love, like changing of the body through technology whatever that might mean but also like because Saul is a like stand-in for him um like we're seeing like an inner turmoil happening Mm -hmm. like not only is he trying to stay relevant but I think it's also that he's like fighting um I, I think the theme is that like he's fighting the natural direction that his body wants to go Mm -hmm. so it's like in order to bring 
us the things that we want to see from him. He's having to, you know, deny himself some sort of relief in a way. Um, I think that was like one of the most interesting takeaways. Like, I think the final shot, like I, I've seen a few different interpretations of that final shot. Um, you know, it's like a recreation of the passion of Joan of Arc and, um, like basically that he, I've seen it argued a different way, but I think that, like, you know, when he finally takes a bite of the plastic candy bar thing, that he finally has some relief from his pain. Mm-hmm. Um, So it's like, you know, he's embracing the next step in the evolution of his body. Um, You know, whether that maybe means for Cronenberg, like, is he going to take a step in a different direction in his career? Like, I don't know. Um, Well, I mean, we do have we do have information on his next film. Do we? We do. Uh, It comes out this year. It's called The Shrouds. And uh, oh, yes. Oh, yes. And it's about, uh, I believe, the man. A man who runs a cemetery that when you put your loved ones to rest, you can watch them decompose in real time. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can't wait to analyze that in conversation with some of the themes going on in Crimes of the Future, like in regards to his, like, to the artistic process and things like that. Oh, totally. I just... Like, I read that, like, little log line, and I was like, "Mm, that movie probably has a lot more going on to it. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Okay. He's back. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you... (laughs) Yeah. He is back. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Do you have any specific thoughts on, like, the final scene or that final shot? (laughs) You, You nailed it all with the Joan of Arc stuff. I mean, that's that's what I took away with it, too. Um, I think it was really a place of like, am I back yet? Question mark. Am I adapting? Am I am I entering this new phase of my career? I guess that all remains to be seen. Like I said, the shrouds is really going to hammer home. I think what the ending of crimes of the future means to me. I think Mm -hmm. I think it's also interesting that he tried making this film in 2003 and it kind of fell apart. And I I almost want to say that probably led directly into him making a history of violence in 2005 and entering his quote unquote drama era. Um, but in a way yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But in a way, in my mind, Cronenberg never left because those drama films are still about, the human psyche being contorted and shaped into things beyond human comprehension. It may not be physical body horror, but it's about the human state changing into something beyond what we were Mm -hmm. before. Interesting. Yeah. Like I know, um, I know he has mentioned that he thinks it's amazing that 
you know, he was still able to make this film 20 years later and that the themes um, and readings of it would still resonate. But, like, interesting in that timeline of his career, like, is letting go of the project back in 2023 and then moving on to some of those dramas. Was that him taking a bite of the purple candy bar? You know, <laughs> like, was it, was that him saying, all right, let's let me just... Let me just do something else for a little while. Let's let's see what happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't. It's just because I I saw a few different readings where like because uh technically like you know the the scene that it is um somewhat mimicking is like Joan of Arc in pain. Um, you know, like looking to God for relief, but I think it's like kind of a sub subversion of that because like we know that like the weird like skeleton chair thing the the break fast chair is supposed to like respond to the pain in his body and then like if you like really observe everything in that scene like once he starts like chewing that purple candy bar like the chair stops moving and like I interpret that as Saul's no longer in pain (laughs) Um, so his chair no longer has anything to respond to. So I just, I just want to say that like, when, when I have acid reflex, I really wish I had that breakfast chair. (laughs) (laughs) It looks so uncomfortable. It looks like it's making it worse. Like he looks so uncomfortable in that. But I guess maybe that's the point that like we're, we create these like technologies that like, are denying us like the actual evolution of our body Mm -hmm. and it's not actually helping it's actually just making the problem worse i don't know there's just there's so much there are so many things going on like there's also a lot about like bodily autonomy like when it comes to like their registry and like telling people what they are or are not allowed to do with the organs that are literally growing in their body Mm -hmm. there's there are so many different things you can pull from. Like I know. I said, like it, it, every it, watch I feel like is going to provide something new. It's almost like you would have thought me of all people would have walked away with like a trans reading of this film. But I walked away with something like so much different. And I do see like all those like trans allegories that like Cronenberg himself talks about in it. But it's just. It's a deep film. If we really wanted to, we could do like three hours of this movie alone. <laughs> but we're not. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it's uh yeah, like I um when I was doing my rewatch, I because I knew that I had missed um a few things. Like admittedly, um it wasn't as bad as I thought. Like I had thought that I might have fallen asleep for a little bit or something when I initially watched it. But um, on the rewatch, I was like, okay, no, I actually do have quite a good grasp on this. There were just a few things like with the vice, like with the detective that maybe I didn't fully comprehend. Um, But, you know, so on this watch, I wanted to make sure I like wrote down all the quotes that like, helped me piece together my understanding um or like pick apart some of the themes and i was like god damn every single line like every single 
piece of dialogue in this film is something like in and of itself like you know like there's there's almost like a different theme or like a different story or like you could write a whole book on each scene it's so it's just so dense like it's it's amazing it's it's quite quite amazing to think like I obviously we are big Cronenberg fans and I love so many of his movies but like this is just a very like it's so accomplished I don't know and speaking of writing books (laughs) um (laughs) I'm going to take a quick moment to plug a second sight films, a limited edition 4k release of crimes of the future features a massive essay book with a ton of wonderful, brilliant essays um, from a pool of talented writers. Um, One of them being me. Um, I have like about a five or six page essay in there talking about, uh, crimes of the future and the value of art and the way Cronenberg conveys all of that. Uh, I'm not going to dive into everything the essay dives into because I want you guys to go out and buy that. Yeah, which um, I believe the link to it is in our link tree. So mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, that's one of the reasons I wanted to go ahead and take a stab at covering this because I knew I knew we would both have a lot to say about it. <laughs> oh yeah, we did. We did. Um but we're not going to go into a 3 hour conversation about it as much as I want to. Um so yeah, our musical pairing for this episode. Should we just dive right into that? I think so. Our musical pairing this week for Crimes of the Future is going to be witnessed by Counterparts. Counterparts, for those that don't know, are a Canadian melodic hardcore band formed in 2007 in Hamilton, Ontario. The band currently consists of vocalist Brendan Murphy, guitarist Tyler Williams and Jesse Doreen, and drummer Kyle Brownlee. They are considered among the most visible bands within contemporary melodic hardcore, while also considered one of the major powers of the metacore revival wave. The album The Difference Between Hell and Home, from which Witness is from, is their third studio album. It was released on July 23rd, 2013, 10 years ago. Good God, that's insane. It was released through Victory Records and garnered positive reviews with publications such as Thrash Hits, who said, The Difference Between Hell and Home is a stunningly complete hardcore album, which should be treasured by anybody with half a brain in their heads. Okay, uh, yeah, I chose this musical pairing, but I want to ask you, Vanna, uh, do you have any experience with the band Counterparts before today? Yeah, I, um, I don't listen to them like super often but they definitely appear on a few of my playlists um i definitely remember some of those days like early like early 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 high school like driving around with friends like definitely 
definitely playing like counterpart CDs. <laughs> um, I there's like a few of their songs that are on my sad metal playlist. Um, you know, when you want to listen, when you're already sad and crying, and you want to listen to more things that make you even more sad and cry even more. Um, because I'm one of those people. <laughs> um, so yeah, I definitely uh. You know, I definitely dabble um, with them. What about you? I've actually seen this band live. I've uh, I yeah. saw I saw them on tour with the Acacia Strain. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Which that uh, sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was really fucking fun. I saw them at Soma San Diego on the side stage, which. I want to say fits only about 250 people, if that. Um, Yeah, it was a blast. For those of you that don't know, my social media handle is a combination of two titles of Acacia Strain songs. So it was like almost a dream tour for me. I really, really love Counterparts. Uh, Their first album, The Current, Will Carry Us, is like an all-timer of a banger. Um, The difference between Hell and Home is also... I'm also a big fan of their more recent efforts as well. Just absolute bangers all around. Uh, Brendan Murphy at one point was like the funniest dude I followed on Twitter. (laughs) Like, uh, I think he tweeted at me one time. I was like, I I tweeted at him like when him and the Acacia Chain were on tour. I was like in the venue, like tweeting at him. And I was like, ooh, I heard there's beef between Acacia Chain and Counterparts. And and Brendan Murphy tweeted back. He's like, nah, we actually watch gay porn together. And I was like, wait, oh what the God. fuck? <laughs> I didn't expect oh him God. to see it, but it was just funny. <laughs> um, yeah, no, yeah, definitely the their most recent, I guess not their most recent album, but one of their recent albums, Nothing Left to Love. Uh-huh. That's that's the one that's that's the one featured on my sad on my sad playlist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I've been listening to, I listened to one song off of No Left to Love as of recently, like within the last week, I listened to the song, uh, Wings of Nightmares, Mm. banger of a song, but I actually listened to their whole new album this last week, a eulogy for those still here. It's just super, super good. It is like metalcore and it's like purest form. And it kind of got me thinking about their older stuff. So I went back and listened to the difference between Hell and Home because it was still like their most recent album. Back in the day when I was super into them. And it's such a great album, but the song Witness in particular stuck with me, especially watching Crimes of the Future. I'm going to read excerpts of lyrics. Um that I sent you when I suggested this uh, expose me for all that I am the man behind the masquerade. I am my own fault witness, false witness. I am left to conquer the mountains in my mind. I am my maker. Life is what's killing me. I hate the fact I'm just fine. Like how, how much more <laughs> explicitly like parallel to salt answers plight can that get? Yeah, I, um, you know, I was, 
I was just like finishing my watch and like, you know, trying to digest my my thoughts. Um, digest. So I was uh, still kind of, yeah, <laughs> pun intended. So uh, I was still, uh, you know, trying to search my brain for a musical pairing. But yeah, once once you sent those lyrics, I was like, oh, yeah, 100 percent. That that is. Like too perfect. It's just like a like a hard as hell hitting song too. Like all of counterparts is, but I feel like Witness is like or kind of the whole album of the difference between Hell and Home and like even their more recent stuff, like you say. It's like hard hitting, it's in your face, but it's also got like emotional depth behind it. You think you're going in for one thing and you're getting another. Much like Crimes of the Future, you think you're going in for standard body horror affair. But you're walking out with something with deeper meaning. Same with a counterparts album. You go for the heaviness and whatnot, but you're walking out with more general, like deeper themes. Yeah, it's definitely yeah, it's just so like if I want to sit there and like be in my feels, like that that is what I'm putting on. Um Yeah, there's like there's a few other like lyrics that really like I don't know. They they kind they kind of remind me of what's going on in the film, but also they're just it's just like sad. Like mm-hmm. um, there's a very like, like somber you know, like, tone to all of it. Yeah, it's um, yeah. Which if you think about like you know trying to meet the expectations that people have of you as an artist and like you know. Yeah, it's, there, there's there's so much pain going on for Saul as a character, and there's obviously yeah, there's there's a lot of pain going on in these lyrics. So it's just it was just a perfect pairing. As soon as you said it, I was like, yeah, I I'm not gonna find anything better. <laughs> it was kind of on a whim too. I was literally just like, what have I been listening to lately? And then I was like, oh shit, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a uh, that seems to be like typically how it goes. Like whatever. Whatever I'm already fixating on. Oh. Tends uh, to fit pretty well with our films. <laughs> a hundo. A hundo. Well, do you have any last thoughts on Crimes of the Future or Witness by Counterparts? Um, I guess I will say I wish I was a little more, um, I guess, coherent in my thoughts on crimes of the future. Um, I just have so many thoughts about it that it just comes out in like a word jumble. Um, But yeah, I guess I'll I'll just say I'm excited to keep watching it or like make more people watch it that (laughs) that are uh, maybe not the most well-versed like Cronenberg fans or, or anything like that. It's just... It's just a good watch. I don't know. Um, Yeah, I'm excited to also probably most definitely talk more Cronenberg in the future of the pod. Hell yeah. New year, new flesh. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Vanna, where can people find you on social? And do you have anything exciting in the works? Um, you can find me pretty much anywhere on the internet at Siren Death Cult. Um, you can find a recent, uh, little listicle I wrote for Fangoria, um, on 
some dance moments. Um, you know, since one of the reasons we had to take a break from the pod was how busy I was uh, performing in Nutcracker, I thought I would, you know, pay tribute to that in the form of a beautiful little list. Um, but as of right now, that's all I got going on. What about you? You can find me on all socials at JFC Doomblade. You can also find my work being published somewhat regularly at Fangoria and Bloody Disgusting. Uh, I started a new side pod, um, the Slasher Girls podcast. Um, it's a slasher only focused podcast. So if you're interested, go check that out. Um, and speaking of Second Sight Films, it has been just announced that I helped contribute an audio commentary with Prince Jackson from Nightlight for their release of Green Room coming up. <laughs> I've uh, been really excited to finally talk about that, and it's cool that it's just out there in the world. I do talk about Carnal Extremities on it, and you get to hear me uh, talk about my Desert Island band that I'm not going to mention here because I want you to listen to the actual disc. <laughs> yeah, that's that is such a cool release. I'm like so so happy for you, and I can't wait to listen to it because also like huge shout out to Prince. Like, there's there's no two. No better people I would rather listen to. <laughs> yeah, I thought people were excited for the Crimes of the Future release, but the day the Green Room one got announced, my phone, like I woke up to like a million text messages and messages on social media and whatnot. Yeah, that's that's a that's a banger. That's a banger for sure. Yeah, that's a you know, I I have like I said, that one's been in the works for a while too. So I'm just glad that I can finally mention it. Finally. Um, Vanna, where can people find our podcast on socials? You can uh, find us on Twitter or X at Carnal EX Pod. Um, can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, I'm working on getting an Instagram up and up and running. Um, but yeah, and. Thank you so much for dealing with the long ass absence, but we're glad to be back. New year, new flesh. We'll be back with you next week with another new episode. <laughs>